And so, Lord, we do come to you tonight, and we are mindful of the scriptures that speak to us concerning the end times. Lord, these things are veiled, and they are not completely opened to us, but you have given us enough, Lord, to where we can know the seasons and the times. Jesus, you said when, when leaves appear on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. And so tonight, Lord, we see leaves on the tree. Geopolitically, uh, this is the climate, Lord, all of the nations kind of gathering uh, around Israel. Israel becoming more and more isolated and alone, just as the scriptures declared. And Lord, we're wondering, what is our role as a nation? We're, we're wondering, God, how does all of this come together? And we don't have those answers tonight. But we know this, as God's people, we need to be praying. And we need to be sober-minded, and we need to be reminded tonight, Lord, that, that eternal things are of the most importance. Help us not to become so distracted with the, some of the things that often uh, kind of lead us astray in our minds and thinking and attention, Lord, that we forget that we are living in the last days and that we need to be about our Father's business. So help us as a church and as a people, Lord, to be sober, to be alert, to be spiritually minded and prayerful and watchful. And so we do pray tonight. We pray for our nation. We pray, God, for the leadership in our nation. We pray, God, that you would help us and our leaders to come alongside Israel. We believe that the scriptures pronounce a blessing for those nations that would align themselves with Israel. And so tonight, we want to pray for the peace of Israel. We ask that you would continue to work in the heart of the people there, in the nation, Lord. We know even many of the Jewish people are not even really uh, godly-minded anymore. It's become something of a secular culture and people. And yet we know that there is a day coming when you are going to open their eyes and bring their hearts back to you as a nation. And so, Lord, we know that all of this is working together according to your sovereign plan. But we are praying, God, for mercy. We are praying, God, for wisdom. We are praying, God, that you will grant time and space for repentance to our nation, to other nations, Lord, and and even to Israel. And, Father, I I do pray that, um, that you would help us as Christians in this country to be um, to be careful this year, Lord, this year being an election year, as we are looking forward, Lord, to so many things that are going on, how important it is for us to to be discerning. Give us wisdom as the church of Jesus Christ, not just here at Calvary Chapel, Monrovia, but the church in the United States, Lord, that we would be prayerful, watchful, and alert, and that we would exercise uh, wisdom and discernment in our voting, Lord, in our in voting in leadership for this nation, as it is such a critical time in our history. And Lord, we are asking for your grace. We are asking for your mercy. Lord, be with those that have lost loved ones. This most recent tragedy, God, we pray for the families and those that are hurting and struggling. And we pray, God, for all the families of 9-11 past that are still wrestling and struggling with in search of answer and in search of pain, Lord. We can't help but be reminded of those things each anniversary as we see the children that are growing up without parents, Lord, lost in that tragedy. We pray that, God, you would work and that it would be something of a spiritual wake-up call for our nation. 
God, that you would work in the hearts of all concerned, working all things together for good. Lord, we're not afraid tonight, nor do we want to live in fear, because we know that all things are subject to your sovereign plan and will. So, Lord, these things are, are, have been revealed to us so that when they begin to come to pass, we would not become alarmed and fearful, but rather that we would look to you, knowing that our redemption is drawing even nearer. And so we pray these things tonight, and we ask finally, God, that you would open up our eyes and hearts tonight to hear and see those things that you have for us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me in that prayer. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Numbers, chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3, we started last week on Wednesday night, our back on our trek through the scriptures and picking up again in the book of Numbers. Tonight we'll be looking at chapters 3 and 4. Title of tonight's message is Numbered for Service. Numbered for Service. What we saw last week in the first two chapters is that God gave Moses instruction to number the nation uh, particularly the young and those men that would be able to go to battle, kind of preparing the nation for the battles that would come in front of them as they would go into the promised land. Tonight, what we'll look at in chapters 3 and 4 is the Lord kind of organizing the Levites and the priesthood. This is kind of a, these were not to be numbered for war. They were not to be numbered amongst the rest of the nation. But the tribe of Levi was set apart for the service of the priesthood and the service of taking care of the things concerning the tabernacle and the worship life for the nation of Israel. And so here tonight, that's what we'll be looking at. And uh, we'll read some, not all, but uh, enough to where you kind of get an idea of what, what God is instructing. And then I hope that we'll have some spiritual principles that we can learn together as well. Look with me, if you will, now in chapter 3, and let's look at some of these verses. Look with me, verse 1. Now, these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. So what we see here is these are the Aaron has been given the priesthood. Aaron is of the tribe of Levi. But Aaron's family out of the tribe of Levi has been exclusively identified as the priests. The Levites would have other duties, but only Aaron's family would be of the high priest lineage. We know that two of his sons died when they uh, offered profane fire before the Lord, and but he still has two sons left. And so these are being identified for us in these first few verses. But he's going to go on now and talk about the rest of the tribe of Levi and what some of their responsibilities would be. Follow with me now in verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him, that they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. 
Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So Aaron and his family are not going to be enough to take care of all the duties that are going to be needed to maintain the worship life for the nation. Remember, the tabernacle was very specific, God's instructions on how it was to be arranged and built, constructed. But this is a nation that's living now out in the wilderness. This is a nation that's going to be moving. God is going to be moving them through the wilderness towards the promised land. And every time the camp moves, and you remember we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three million people, there's going to be quite a bit of work to get the camp kind of moved and on the road, and especially those things concerning the tabernacle, which was at the center of the nation. Remember last week we talked about how God actually numbered the people and then set up specific places of encampment all around the tabernacle. The Lord was at the center of the nation, and he arranged the the people around the tabernacle. Well, when it comes time to move, Aaron and his family are not going to be able to maintain this. So the Lord is now giving the entire tribe of Levi to these tasks. Give them to Aaron. They will be coming alongside and helping Aaron and his family in this ministry of the priesthood. We read on, picking it up here in verse 11. The Lord, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine on the day that I, that I struck all the first, firstborn in the land of Egypt. I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. The Lord is doing something new here. You may remember when we studied back in the Passover that the Lord brought, allowed the death angel to come through and all the firstborn of Egypt were struck dead. But God had instructed the people of Israel to slay a Passover lamb, to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, and the Lord would pass over those households, and the firstborn of Israel would be spared. But prior after that, the Lord then declared, since all those firstborn were spared by me, in a sense, they now belong to me. I have allowed the blood of the lamb to, in a sense, redeem them for myself. And so, They were to dedicate the firstborn, the firstborn male of every household was to be dedicated to the Lord. And that simply meant that they were to dedicate and then they could redeem that that son back into the family by a, a payment into the treasury. Now the Lord is saying, here's what I'm going to do. Rather than requiring the firstborn from everyone in the nation, instead I'm going to take the tribe of Levi to myself. I'm going to take them in place of the firstborn. The Lord is doing a little bit of an accounting project here. He's still wanting this dedicated people, this dedicated group of men that would serve him in ministry, but he's going to consolidate it all into the nation 
of Levi. The Levites are going to take the place of the firstborn in their belonging to the Lord. There's going to be some more on this as we go forward. And a uh, little more detail on this we'll take a look at in just a moment. But let's continue on, uh, picking it up in verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their fathers' houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, as he was commanded. You'll remember the first two chapters, the Lord had asked Moses to number the nation. But the tribe of Levi was excluded from that process. Now they are being specifically numbered, and God is asking him to number all the male children one month and older. And what he does now through the rest of this chapter is give us a count. As as Moses goes through, Moses and Aaron now go through the tribe of Levi, and they, they kind of divide it up into three different sections based on heads of households. And the numbers from, uh, from this count are given to us. We're not going to take the time to read that entire numbering process. They're going to number them and also assign some specific duties to each of them. And that's what happens uh, from verse 16 really now almost to the end of the chapter. Uh, but pick it up with me now in verse 39. Well, actually, uh, yeah. And you'll see a little bit of a summary of what's going on. All who were numbered of the Levites, so now this is the end of that numbering numbering process, all who were numbered of the Levites, when Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above were 22,000. So Moses goes through the, uh, the group of Levi, Uh, They number them by their families, and at the end, the count of men, one month, or males, one month and older is 22,000. Now, look it up, look here again with me in verse 40, and now that he has a count, remember God said, I'm going to take the tribe of Levi, and I'm going to allow them to be, uh, to take the place of the firstborn from the rest of the nation. Now, let's, he's going to, Do a little more accounting on this. Look with me now in verse 40. He's going to now find out just how many firstborn are there out there in the nation. Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above, and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. And the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above, of those who were numbered of them, were 22,273. So, are you following me? Now we're numbering. You know, now you know why this book is called Numbers. <clears throat> We have numbered the males within the Levi tribe. And God is saying, okay, since I'm going to allow them to take the place of the firstborn males of all the rest of the nation, I want you now to go out and count, number those males out in the nation. So we numbered the males within the tribe of Levi, and we found 
22,000. We numbered the firstborn males out in the rest of the nation, and we found 22,273. God's a little short on this deal, isn't he? Well, he's going to fix that. Notice that. Uh, Look with me a little bit farther now. Where were we? 44. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children uh, of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. Verse 46. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So God is doing a very accurate accounting here. He says, he's saying, I want the males in the Levite tribe to take the place of the firstborn of all the rest of the nation. After counting, we see a small discrepancy here. And God says, fine, now take the, the, the traditional redemption offering for those firstborn, the difference on those 273, bring that in and then give it to the tribe, uh, to Aaron and the priesthood. So God, very specific and very accurate, in his accounting on this process as he makes this swap, the the Levi males for the firstborn with the rest of the nation. And it it does kind kind of interest me how detailed God is and how careful the Lord is concerning each and every one. God wants to know the number and name of each. Well, he knows the number and name, but he wants the nation, he wants the, the leadership to know the number and name of each and every one involved in this transaction. And I think it speaks of God's heart for us as well. You know, he looks out and he sees a nation, but he's really, he's interested right down into the individual lives of the nation. And so as he looks out and he sees the church of Jesus Christ, you know that he's also interested in each and every member of the church of Jesus Christ. He knows your name. He knows my name very specific in his care and concern. It actually reminded me of some passages. We won't take the time to turn, but I'll remind you in Luke chapter 15. Jesus spoke in parables. He said, you know, who of you having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, will you not leave the ninety-nine and go look for that lost one? And he says, you know, I tell you that even all of heaven, all the angels in heaven rejoice when even one sinner comes to repentance. Or a woman who has lost one coin, she'll search her home looking for that one lost coin and she'll rejoice when she finds it. And again, the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So as we look at God's accurate accounting right down into the details. I think you can draw some comfort. You know, he knows about our lives right down into the detail. Jesus said that even the number of hairs upon our head, even that number is known. So God is very specific 
and very interested in each and every one of us. And even the one lost sheep he will come after. And God wants this redemption transaction to be accurate right down to the very detail. It also speaks to us just about this whole redemption process, the whole idea of Passover. What is God communicating here through this whole right of ownership over the firstborn? He's trying to, I think, prepare them for what ultimately would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that Christ has become our Passover lamb. In the same way that the lamb was offered, the blood of the lamb was, was put over the doorpost and in, in sparing the, the death into that household, so Christ and his blood has been shed over our lives sparing us the judgment and death that we deserve because of sin. And what God is saying here is, listen, because, because I allowed that blood to cover that firstborn, that firstborn is now redeemed for my purpose and for my use. It's as if I have paid for that, now that one is mine. And this is the same principle that God brings into our lives concerning his redemption over us. But Paul said, you have been bought with a price. Your life is no longer your own. You have been purchased as God's own possession. In the same way that God very carefully wanting to, to earmark the firstborn, those that were, that were owned by him by the blood of the Passover lamb, now he says over the New Testament believers, you, your life has now been purchased and belongs to me because of the Passover lamb of Jesus Christ over your life. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You understand the principle. God, God considers you and I as his property, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that needs to sink into our hearts, recognizing that, you know, our, my life is no longer just my own. In fact, my life now belongs to the Lord because he redeemed me. I would have been lost. I would have been dead in sin. Those firstborn in Egypt, even though they lived in the house of Israel, they would have all died with the Egyptian firstborn had it not been for the blood of the Passover lamb, putting their faith in God's word and, their, and the sacrifice of that lamb. And so we too, we now put our faith in God's word, believing that Jesus Christ died for us in our place. And in so doing, he now has claim to you and I having received the blessing and the benefit of that, of that Passover lamb, Jesus taking the punishment and the penalty for sin on my behalf, he now owns me. He now lays claim to me. This is why the apostles that, that wrote the epistles would say, Peter, Paul, James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, I am his. I belong to him. He, I, I am his man. Jesus, I am yours. You bought me, you redeemed me, uh, and, and it's not like this burden, it's a joy to belong to the Lord. Thank God that he is now covering me. Thank God that I now belong to the household, the family 
of faith in Christ Jesus. But it comes with, a, with an understanding that my life, I'm no longer just free to do whatever I want. But I really need to live my life with an understanding. I belong to Him. You know, when we have a marriage ceremony and a husband and wife give themselves to one another in marriage, when we prepare them for marriage, we often talk and use some of the scriptures that Paul gives for us about marriage. And in one passage in 1 Corinthians, he said, the husband and the wife, you no longer have exclusive rights over your own body anymore. You now belong to one another because the two have become one. And in in the same way, God now, we we belong to Him. In a a married relationship, you always have your spouse in mind. You, You can't just kind of do your own thing anymore because you belong to someone. And someone belongs to you. you. You have one another in mind, always. And so as we live for Christ, we must have him in mind. We belong to him. And God is trying to instill this into the heart of his people. There is an ownership claim on this nation. And there's a specific ownership claim on these that he is holding on to for his direct service in ministry, the Levites. And it all flows from the idea of the Passover of which you and I now enjoy in Christ. That's chapter 3. Let's look also tonight at chapter 4. And we'll do some summarizing here. I won't read it all of it. I won't read all of it. But he gives this now. He's going to get into a little more detail in chapter 4. We've identified the Levites. We know how many there are. We've kind of worked out this uh, right of the firstborn amongst the nation and specifically in the tribe of Levi, now he's going to begin to assign specific duties to each uh, family within the tribe. They're not all just going to be doing the same thing. The priests have their duty, that's Aaron's household, and these other families are also going to be given some very specific duties, what God has in mind for them in serving him as Levites. So let's take a look at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey... Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. They shall put on, put on it a covering of badger skins and spread over that, co- over that a cloth entirely of blue, and they shall insert its poles. And he goes on from there to give more details of how the priesthood is to prepare the tabernacle for moving. So, what's happening now? God is now coming back through and saying, all right, now that we've numbered the entire tribe of Levi by family, now I want to go back through and number just those that are of the right age to serve. Look for those between ages 30 and 50. These are the men that are going to actually be assigned the specific work. We now know what, the nation, what that tribe looks like in total. Now let's find out who's going to be doing the work, and he's now going to begin to assign specific duties. That's the first family, and, he, and, and the priesthood, the Aaron and his family, are actually going to be still overseeing this work concerning the tabernacle. 
Most of these duties are going to be relating to how to move, how to pack and move the tabernacle. It had to be done very specifically, very carefully, because if you didn't, it would actually cost you your life. It was a very serious business, God moving the tabernacle, God maintaining a sense of holiness amongst the people. Look at verse 15, chapter 4. And when Aaron and his sons had have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So, in kind of identifying these duties, Aaron and the priests, they're the only ones actually touching the holy things. The sons of Kohath, they are just going to come in after the priests have packed. Then the sons of Kohath will come in and they will move the things that they've been assigned. So they have a duty, but it's not... It's not the same as the priesthood. The priesthood is Aaron and his group. They only are supposed to handle certain things. And we look, look on. In, in some cases, you couldn't even look at certain things. Look at verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe from the, of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and his task, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. I mean, God is being very particular about who has access to the holy things. And what is God saying? He's saying, again, there is a separation between the holiness of God and sinful man. He is allowing the priesthood, a very exclusive group of men who have been particularly uh, washed and cleansed and gone through the proper sacrifice to come and handle these things. But these others, even though they're Levites, even though they're committed to this work of ministry, they're not to touch these holy things. God's still keeping that understanding that, listen, you need someone to mediate between you and me. I am a holy and righteous and awesome God. And you are just men. Boy, we need that message again today, don't we? There is a holy and righteous and awesome God, and we are men. And we need a mediator. We need a high priest. We need a savior. And God has been clear from throughout history not to let man get, to, get this idea that somehow his own righteousness makes him right before God. That God can be treated in a kind of a casual, haphazard way. He is holy. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We must understand His holiness as best we can. We must understand our own fallenness as best we can. Because that brings greater value to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has bridged the gap for us. We don't live in fear of this God, but we do live in reverence of this God. And we live in appreciation for what he has done for us in Christ. Don't touch these things, you're going to die. Don't watch while they're packing these things, you're going to die. You ever had one of those safety meetings at work? Okay. You know, they're, they're mandatory now. You've got to have these safety meetings. And, you know, okay, you gotta, in this area, you've got to wear the safety goggles. Just imagine that safety meeting. <laughs> 
Talk about an important safety tip. Okay, guys, when you go in there, don't look over there. If you do, you're dead. (laughs) And that's how serious God was about maintaining his holiness in the heart and minds of the people. He goes on, and we won't take the time to read, verses 21 through 28. He then talks about duties for the sons of Gershon. Verses 29 through 33, he talks about the duties for the sons of Merari. Not Ferrari, but Merari. (laughs) And then verses 34 through 49, he then uh, goes through and numbers these families, ages 30 to 50. And just kind of finish it up here, verse 49, you kind of get the close of this chapter. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus they were numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses was very diligent in this task and prepared the people for their work of service. Each family had certain duties. The priesthood was to oversee all of this. Some were to carry the actual articles within the tabernacle. Some were to carry the the poles and the tents and the structure. Some were to carry other portions of the tabernacle. But God arranged this, how to break camp and how to move, because he was getting ready to move them. And these Levites were going to be part of that duty. What are some ministry principles that kind of stand out to to our hearts as we look at this together. I I think one of the things that stands out to me, ministry principle number one, is that God is the one who calls. These families, this was not they were not voting, there was no applications filled out here. God is choosing which family and which group of men are going to do which responsibilities. God is the one who ultimately organizes and arranges ministry. This was going to be, these were were going to be the, the tribe that oversaw the corporate worship life of this nation. And he is assigning tasks per his sovereign plan. Not be, well, no, no, I I don't want to carry those. I want to carry the tent. I like the tent. I want to be, no, it wasn't like that. The men didn't come in and say what they wanted to do. God said, this is what we're assigning them to do. God is the one that calls. And it hasn't changed. God is still the one that calls and gives gifts and gives certain responsibilities to men and to women in the life of the church, in the life of our families, and certainly in the life of ministry. I remind you of Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, talking about this very priesthood. He says, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. How important it is for us to discover what God has called us to do. In fact, I would say that 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 may be the most important question. Other than coming to faith in Christ and having a personal relationship with him. Beyond that, it's almost the very next question is, and Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what has, have you called me? What have you saved me for? Now that I've come to relationship with you, what are you calling me to do? And it is his sovereign plan that places each one of us in our particular office and responsibility. A couple more verses supporting this theme. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. But one and the same Spirit, talking about different gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Is it up there for you? Who does, who, who decides what, what, how the gifts get distributed? He does, as He wills. We don't get in line and say, oh, I want this gift, I want this gift, I want to be, I want to be a pastor, oh, I want to be a worship leader, oh, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. We need some more of those Sunday school teachers, by the way. <laughs> we, have to, we have to really draw close to the Lord and say, Lord, open my heart, lead me, guide me. I want to be doing those things that you have entrusted and called me to do. Also in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. Again, talking, Paul, kind of the same chapter and kind of emphasizing the point again, uh, likening the church to a, a, a member of a, members of a body. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. God is the one that calls. God is the one that determines what each of us will do and, and what function we will have. And let me say that, in the, in the, for example, in the nation of Israel, it really didn't matter what duty you got because whatever duty you were given... God, God, God's not, one duty is not more important than another. What God is looking for is faithfulness in the duty that you've been given. That's what God is looking for. You remember the parable Jesus told of the, the master who distributed talents, different resources to different servants. And afterwards, some had, some of them had been faithful and doubled and even increased theirs, and one had been unfaithful. But you remember the ones that were commended, they all received the same commendation. Even though one had really done more with his resource, but the other who had less, he was faithful even though he had a different resource. And the same commendation is available for all. For all. God is not grading you know, duties. God is looking for faithfulness. Because everything, you know, Jesus said, even a cup of cold water given in my name won't go without its reward. God is keeping good books. God is keeping good accounting on those things that he's asked and entrusted us to do. And as we are faithful in those things, God is uh, promised reward and God is blessed and God is pleased as we well done thy good and faithful servant. This is what we desire. And I believe that it is God's calling upon us that, that compels us to serve in ministry. Ministry, serving, should not be a burden. It should not be something that you dread. Oh, I have to do something around here, I guess. Pastor's been harping on service. What can I do? I don't want to do anything, but it's football season. Come on, Pastor. But... Okay, I'll help take chairs down. I'll help set up for this. Okay. You know, that's, that's a big kind of a... God loves a cheerful giver. But I believe that it flows out of relationship, not out of some sense of, oh, I've got to do something for God. You just need to love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll be fruitful. You're, you, you'll, it, my commandments will not be burdensome to you. As you grow in your relationship of love with Him, God will open those doors. God will lead you, and it will be natural. It will be something that you actually feel compelled to do. Paul said, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. You remember Jeremiah after he was sharing the word of God, and he was getting persecuted every time he opened his mouth. 
Every time he, you know, he spoke what God told him to say, the people got mad at him. And he finally said, that's it. I'm done with preaching God's word. But he said, but then the word burned in me. I couldn't help but speak his word. I had to be faithful with what God had given me to do. I think with God's calling, there is a compulsion. There is a, there's a grace that comes with it that, that compels you to do it and sustains you to do it. Ministry burns out when it's not of the Lord. Ministry burns out when it's in our own strength or in our own effort, trying to somehow earn points in the church, you know, in front of men, or somehow get, you know, get on a treadmill trying to keep God happy. You can't sustain that. No, it has to flow out of that relationship, and it has to really be empowered by the Lord. These men were called to serve very specifically by the word and instruction of God. And when God calls, God empowers. God will always give you the strength and the grace and the gifting that you need to do what he's called you to do. Even though you don't, you you know, sometimes you feel overwhelmed. Moses felt overwhelmed, remember? Oh, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I stutter. I, I can't do this. God said, didn't I make the mouth and the tongue? Don't you think I'll be able to, you think I'm going to call you and then not give you the resource and the strength? And the the grace to do what I've called you to do, of course he will. And that's the way it it all gets the the glory comes to him. And I've seen this in ministry. I've seen this even in my own life in ministry. When I try to do things in my own strength or I try to get involved in a ministry pursuit that isn't necessarily something that God has called me to do, it's a worthy cause. It's a good thing. It's a ministry, but just not the one God's called me to do. What happens? It doesn't go well. It's just a lot of sweat and a lot of work and a lot of effort and not a lot of fruit. And then I get burned out. Then I get frustrated. And then I'm, you know, then I'm complaining to God. God, why? You know, and then God say, I didn't send you to do that. What are you doing? You need to focus on the things I'm calling you to do. That's where you're going to find fruit. That's where you're going to find favor. So God's calling, I believe, will sustain you in ministry. You won't burn out. As the the saying goes, we do get tired in the ministry, but we don't get tired of the ministry. Ministry is work, and you serve, you'll go home tired some days. But you're not tired of serving. You're just tired in that, that day of serving. But you're not tired of serving Him. And the Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will uh, refresh you. Variety of gifts. That's the other principle here. God calls, number one. Number two, God calls us all differently. There is really a variety of gifts. Everyone has a spiritual gift, but no one person has all the gifts. Look at Romans 12. I think I have it on the screen for you. Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Each has a different gift, a different sense of calling, a different gifting. And yet, when we use them together, the body is healthy, the the body thrives. 
If a few, and you see this a lot in church fellowships, if a few try to do it all, they will burn out. Not only do they burn out, but others miss the blessing of serving. God has not called just a few in a body to do all the work. God did not call Aaron and his family to pack up and move the tabernacle. He brought the whole tribe of Levi alongside to help. And each, each uh, household, family, each lineage had some specific duties. He divvied that work up so that it would, it would go well and that it would be blessed. Moving the tabernacle. What a crew. But, you know, it, it says something, I think, here also, just about this whole idea of corporate worship life. I mean, there's some practical things, right? We, we kind of like to spiritualize everything. God in the middle of the nation, dwelling in the cloud and the pillar and the holy of holies and all there. But you know what? When it came time to move, the cloud, the, you know, the, the tabernacle didn't just float up off the ground and move and follow the cloud. They had to break it down. They had to get in. I mean, there was some sweat involved. Guys working. There's labor going on. It was, there's some practical logistics that have to take place for, for corporate worship life to happen. And that's the way it is here too, right? I mean, you know, you gotta, you need things. You need chairs. Thank God for chairs tonight. You need air conditioning. And I see that maybe we could turn it down a little. Some of your fanning. You need lights, right? You need coffee. Amen. You gotta have certain things to worship. <laughs> My point is this, you know, all of it is is spiritual. All of it is spiritual when it is part of the corporate life of the body of Christ. Whatever part you're doing, whatever part God has gifted you to do, don't imagine that, you know, it's just the worship team and the pastor and those that are you know doing the spiritual things. Listen, there's so much going on that, that isn't done up here that makes our corporate worship life possible. And I really think that those are the parts and members of the body that are deserving of even greater honor because they serve in the shade, not in the spotlight. They serve behind the scenes. They're doing the work of God unto the Lord, not to man. So there's a blessing there for those that find their place to serve and do it faithfully, diligently. And I believe that's part of what God has for us as well. And, and you know, um, the early church, almost immediately in the book of Acts, almost immediately they, they needed help in ministering to the practical needs. Remember? They, they, that so many people were getting saved and the church was starting to take care of, of the widows and immediately there was problems and, and you know, they, call, they asked the apostles, hey, you're going to have to come and settle this? In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. We've got a few minutes. Turn with me to Acts 6. I guess I want you to understand that there's so many practical things that have to be done for a the corporate life of a church, a worship life of a church, to happen and to function, just as it was in the nation of Israel. Those guys had to move stuff. There was a crew, and they were working, and they were making things happen, and they followed it, but it was done in a way, per God's instruction, it was done in a way that blessed. Acts chapter 6. Now in those days, when the number of the... I'm in verse 1. Uh, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. 
And then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, this is now the twelve apostles, they're responding to this need. They're saying it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And look at the result. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Almost immediately, very beginning life of the church, these practical matters are coming up. And so they, the, the apostles said, listen, we can't do all that and be faithful with continuing to bring the word of God, continuing to pray, continuing to share the gospel. We're going to have to assign some men. But notice the kind of men they're looking for, spiritual men, to do very practical things, Right? Serving tables, overseeing a ministry, a food ministry. Very practical, very hands-on things, but look for the men that are full of the Holy Spirit. Because everything that's done unto the Lord is spiritual. Everything when it's done unto God is a blessing, and there, you, we look for the Holy Spirit to empower that. You know of some of these men, Stephen went on to be a mighty man of the Scriptures and became one of the first martyrs of the early church. Philip became this powerful evangelist. They started just waiting tables, but that's not where they ended. God grew their ministries. God grew their influence, and there's something there as well. Being faithful in the little things, being diligent with what God has given to you. And that God will give and increase more ministry. Just some final thoughts. How can I know? How can I know what God is calling me to do? That's often the struggle, often what people wrestle with. I don't know, Pastor, I want to serve. I'm just not sure what I should be doing. Just a couple of practical thoughts. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I would say, first of all, what is God working in you to will? What, what is God doing in your heart as you're seeking Him, as you're praying, as you're walking in close fellowship with Him? Is He compelling something? Is He stirring something in your heart? I believe that's where it begins. The Lord will begin to put a desire in your heart. Maybe it's just a desire to serve. You're not sure where, but it's just an overwhelming desire to plug in and help and serve, assist in some way in the body. So then you wait on that, and you pray, and then you wait for the Lord to open a door. Then all of a sudden, something comes up in the bulletin. Hey, we're having this event. We need helpers, or this ministry, looking for servants. And then you, you know, Lord, is that it? I mean, you have to kind of pray through, work it through. But in the end, you you have to take a step of faith. You just kind of have to kind of get out there. You have to go for it. And God will confirm it. God will bring fruit. God will open and close doors. And I've discovered in my own life that he reveals more as we move in faith towards what we do know. And that's what happened with these men in the book of Acts. They were faithful in what the first assignment that was given to them. And God grew that from there. And that's the way it's been in my life.
taking steps of faith. Not, you know, leaps out into, you know, impossibilities, but just steps towards something. So I sense maybe God is directing me, God is leading me in a certain way, wanting me to, to move in a certain direction towards certain type of ministry. I begin to pray, and I begin to ask the Lord to confirm that, and I wait on it. You know, some ideas, they, they fade, right? A couple days later, what was, that? what was that ministry I thought I was called to do? I can't even remember it. But if it's of the Lord, it doesn't fade, it grows, and it sustains, and it, and it kind of becomes uh, almost you know, something you can barely contain. And, and then, Lord, give me a step of faith. Open a small door, something that I can move towards to see if this is you. This is the way my ministry life has happened. Small steps. I wanted to serve. And so, Lord, open a door. The Lord opened a door in worship ministry. I've told you the story. Lord, open another door. <laughs> but that was the door the Lord opened for me. And I began to take steps toward it, and the Lord blessed it. And then I felt a sense of calling, you know, that God wanted to use me possibly as a pastor, dare I dream. And so I began to prepare and move towards that, and God continued to put those steps in front of me. I felt compelled to go to India on a missions trip. This is crazy for me. That, that was just totally crazy. But I began to pray on it. I began to take steps towards it, and God confirmed it along the way. And now we have five brothers that, that are over there doing the work of ministry that we as a church. And God saw all this, and he connected all of this. But these, these things happen as you take small steps of faith towards what the Lord has before you today. But God has something for each of us. And God is looking for us to be uh, mindful of these things, to be faithful in these things. And this is how the work of God is advanced, through people serving God and being faithful in those specific areas and doors of ministry that he opens for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage in Numbers. Quite a bit of detail there tonight, Lord, but I think some rich spiritual truth for us as well. And we just pray that you will comfort our hearts tonight, Lord, with the knowledge that we belong to you, each and every one. Lord, you know every lost sheep, you know every lost coin, you know every single one of us by name, you know our lives, our, our hearts and minds and lives are open before you tonight. And you love us, and you care about us, and you're wanting to work and move in our lives. And so for this, we are thankful. And Lord, we're thankful that you have purchased us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We no longer belong to ourselves, but we are yours. And help us to live as your children now, to live as those who know you and belong to you. And help us, Lord, to pray and seek areas that we might be able to respond in service. Lord, not out of obligation, not out of some sense of, uh, you know, having to do a duty or somehow we're going to do something for you, Lord. It's about allowing you to work through us. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a blessing to be useful in the Master's house. It is the highest honor to be available, to be open to the work of the kingdom, that you would use us, that you would even consider us, Lord. We thank you for the privilege. And I pray that you would stir our hearts and 
lead us in those ways that you have for us tonight. And Lord, just in closing, as our heads are bowed and stay in an attitude of prayer, and we'll finish here tonight, but I do want to give opportunity, if you're here tonight, and you need to come to the Lord. If you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, but God is speaking to your heart tonight. We've talked about the Passover lamb, that Jesus paid the price for you at the cross. And if you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus as a personal Savior, I would love to pray for you. Or if you're here and you need to rededicate your life to Him, recommit yourself to Him because you're not walking with Him, you're not close to Him tonight. It's not that you don't have a relationship, but you just in your heart you want to respond. You want to say, God, I want to recommit myself to you tonight. I'd love to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you need the Lord for the very first time, or you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand so I can see you and I'll pray. God bless you, ma'am. And you, sir, in the center as well. Anyone else? God bless you. Any others? Before I pray for these three, the Lord is speaking to you and you want this prayer. It's between you and the Lord. Just before I pray, let me see your hand. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. Over here on the left as well. My left. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your work tonight by your word. Here we are in the book of Numbers. And yet it speaks to us of Jesus Christ. Because the entire book is centered around Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are the Word made flesh. And so tonight, for those hearts that have responded, meet them tonight with your Spirit. God, touch them. Touch them in a powerful way. Confirm in their hearts tonight. Let them know that they are no longer that lost sheep or that lost coin but they are found by you tonight, that you embrace them in your love and in your grace, not by anything that they have done, but by your loving grace and mercy expressed through the cross of Jesus Christ. Cleanse them tonight, Lord. May they be honest before you and confess and acknowledge their sin. May they confess and acknowledge that you are a holy God and that we are just sinful men and we need a Savior. And our trust and faith tonight is in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Forgive us, cleanse us, renew us tonight, Lord. Refresh our hearts and cause the joy of your love and spirit to just fill up within us, Lord. May the joy of thy salvation be new and fresh in these hearts tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand tonight and close in a song of worship.